and welcome to PCTY Talks. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson. During our time together, we'll stay close to the news and info you need to succeed as an HR pro. And together, we'll explore topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, and real life HR situations we face every day. On today's episode, I have with me Cheryl Johnson, our CHRO here at Paylocity, to talk you know, all things 2022. So Cheryl, thanks for jumping on with me. Thanks. I can't believe even thinking about 2022 seems, seems unreal. I can't believe that we're here. And when we talk about time, you know, me and my husband were having a conversation the other day and I was like, what year did that happen in? I felt we did, we just lost a whole year. It's, it no longer exists in our memory. I totally agree. Like 2021 feels, I know 2020 was the year that kind of we think disappeared, but I remember a lot from 2020, 2021, it was like all a blur. Absolutely. So as you think about going into 2022, what are the top trends that are on your mind for the HR space? Yeah, I think there's a few that have carried through from, that will carry through from this year and really from the pandemic through to 2022. And then there's a few that I think will be short-term for 2022. I don't expect them to carry um, past 2022, but it's also a little unknown. I think the, the one in particular that, that really became a bigger priority through the pandemic and then certainly this year, and I think it will become even more of a focus is mental health and mental well-being. Um, and it's interesting to see this startup companies popping up left and right, offering mental health solutions for the workplace. I mean, it is, it is all over the place. So it's interesting because one of the things for Paylocity we had established in our CSR strategy as one of our pillars is mental health and focusing on helping the community and being an influencer for work environments with mental, to focus on mental health and well-being of employees. And at the time, two years ago, when we established that, um, it seemed like a bit of a stretch to think that companies could truly play a role in mental health. And now you fast forward now and it's not it's not first of all it's not a stretch second of all it's becoming a core expectation of employees um employees expect you to talk about it they want to know how you're going to help them um and if you don't find a solution to it you're going to struggle having your employees bring their best self to work um and best self means whole self (laughs) not you know only the good of me but it's the whole self to work um, so mental health for sure is one that I, I, this is one that's not short term. This is one that I think is going to become a new kind of staple for an HR professional and an organizational culture to, to make sure that they understand and have an approach to, um, support mental health initiatives within the workforce. Um, I think the other, the other one that really started popping up more, and I think it's going to, I think it's going to shift things for the HR profession is the, the focus on the employee experience. Um, we've always focused on culture. We talk about employee engagement. These are all things that it's not new for an HR person or a business leader to think about and talk about. But you know, I, I've talked to other HR people. When you think about the role of HR, we have a three-legged stool that we always have to balance. We have to balance the organizational priorities, the employee priorities, and then the leadership priorities of the company and make sure we're supporting all three and they all have to be balanced at the same time. We can't shift too much focus to the employer, too much to the organization, or too much to the leader. I will say though, I I think the amount of focus 
HR professionals and business leaders have put on the employee point of view. So the POV for an employee um, has been pretty limited. So we may focus on the employee, but it's through our lens, not through the employee's lens. I think the shift is going to be more and more organizations having to put the focus on what is the employee's point of view? What do they want to experience? And you're now taking this view through the lens of the employee, not through what I want to do for the employee. And that is something that, you know, it touches a lot of different parts of the employee journey. And it's not always just the parts that HR controls. So facilities, compliance, um, you know, the different, the technology organization that gets people their equipment. So, so this is going to be really nuanced for the HR person to, to be the one taking a, a bigger role in focusing on the employee experience. And this is driven from the fact that employees have so many options. They are now consumers. We've, we saw that shift happening a couple of years ago where employees were starting to become consumers of their work experience. And now more so than ever in this environment where it's hard to attract, it's hard to retain. <laughs> you know, the market right now is really tricky. You need to create an employee experience that people want to consume. And, and that's going to be a pretty big shift that I don't think that's short term. I think that's that's an evolution in how we do HR and how we think about the work environment. Um, I think the next one is what do people value? I think the employee um, mindset around what they value in the workplace is shifting and it shifted as a result of the pandemic and the fact that the pandemic lasted so long, um, the effects of the pandemic lasting, I should say lasted, lasting so long that people really started to reassess uh, what work means to them and the role they want work to play in their life. Um, so you're, you're going to see that people are valuing um, when you, uh, there was this motivation index that I used for years from an HR perspective. And it's a basic, like what, what are the things that people are motivated by when it comes to work? And the standard things tended to be in place from a job security, career progression, compensation. Like these were like kind of the basic things in diff different generations. Like millennials might have a different perspective and um, then your, um, your boomers and your Xers. Right now, the motivation index is shifting in a way where it's not about your generation. It's, it's about like, I don't even know. I feel like there's probably someone that's going to coin it. It's like the pandemic generation and it's all encompassing of every generation that had to live through this pandemic. Um, and so you think about that, that motivation index is changing where what people are motivating is um, freedom and flexibility and autonomy more than than more than job security benefit plans, um, more than even compensation in some cases. Like they'd much rather be able to work from their house in Hawaii um, than to work from their house in you know in Chicago, Illinois when it's really cold. <laughs> and so just having that choice, like people are willing to accept different comp packages if it gives them the flexibility. Uh, so that is going to be a shift in, in how that plays out in the the HR space and what that means for companies um, is still yet to be seen fully, but this will be something that will be a big conversation for 2022. As companies evaluate, do we go back to an in-person environment? Do I stay remote? Do I stay hybrid? 
Um, I have employees who can't be remote. So how do I compete when they can go get a gig somewhere else? Um, so this will be a factor that's gonna continue um, to impact us into 2022. And then I would say the one to me that's a little, I think, short-term, hopefully short-term, but we don't actually know yet. It is the wage compression and inflation conversation that everybody's having right now. I know in my HR circles, where you know, questions are coming around on, are you adjusting your merit budget because the inflation and what are other companies doing and, and what is the historical precedence when there's been inflation? Like what do companies do? And so the question in this from a trend perspective for 2022 is, is there a short-term adjustment that's gonna to have to be made? Meaning looking across your workforce to see if there's compression issues that were created as a result of the wages being inflated during this you know, great resignation period. Um, and is it short-term, so you're just fixing some compression areas or is this a long-term impact where you're gonna have to start rethinking um, your comp structure and, and what you're doing? You started with mental health. I'm curious how you see HR actually supporting that? Do you think we're going to have to be looking for, you know, bringing psychologists on to our staff or is it as simple as offering an app or, you know, what are you seeing in this space as HR tackles this? Yeah. So it's, it's still unknown. <laughs> how far can we go? Right. Like, and how far should we go and do we need to go? I think first and foremost, like the most basic thing that I would expect HR people to do is to actually look at your benefit plan design and your EAP offering. Does your benefit plan design actually take into effect behavioral treatment and behavioral therapy as a part of what's being covered? And is it covered um, in um, comparably to a medical condition as opposed to a mental condition? So that in, a, in and of itself, HR people should be doing this audit right now of their plan design to make sure that they've got proper coverage that includes mental health. It includes, you know, dependency treatment, um, you know, clinics and outpatient, all those different things that people may need to support mental health. Um, also your prescription benefit plan. So a lot of people have, you know, strategy around their prescriptions, making sure that your prescription coverage actually covers um, different treatments for people with mental health conditions. The next is looking at your EAP. So, and I'm giving you like the three things that are, this an HR person should do, right? This isn't a stretch. It's not, um, it's not something that, you know, it's, it's questionable on if we should be taking steps on. Like the bringing a therapist on staff is one where it's like, wow, that could be really progressive. It could be really scary. You gotta talk to legal, see what <laughs> the implications are. But looking at your benefit plan design, your pharmacy plan, and then your EAP offering, um, this is something we've recently been auditing, even within our own, finding that the EAP is not sufficient for what people are looking for right now. Part of it could just be simply that there's an influx of people looking for therapists and there's just the supply and demand is a little out of whack. Um, but people's expectations about how they would get supported through something like EAP has increased. So is your EAP a good solution or not? I think um, the things where you could take it to the next level, you know, from an HR perspective is, do you host lunch and learns and you bring in experts? Um, a lot of times, like if you work with a, a benefit provider like Blue Cross Blue Shield and those types of organizations, they actually have service offerings and they have professionals they can connect you to. And 
And many times those professionals are, can be included in some sort of a cost program with your benefit plan. Sometimes you have to pay them to come in, but bringing in expert speakers and hosting lunch and learns around some of the most common um, topics that impact people in the work environment, depression, anxiety, burnout, um, and bringing in speakers. That is some low hanging fruit. Now, the next higher level is what you suggested. There's a lot of these behavioral health teletherapies. Um, I think those are amazing solutions. In fact, it's something we're going to be looking at in our next um, kind of open budget season. Um, but they are a little pricey. So not it's not practical for many organizations. And so trying to figure out what you can afford to do. Um, but there's, there's that. And then I think generally, um, you know, I love the idea of a therapist on staff. I watched, what was that? Um, the show Billion? Yep. What was it? Billions. Yes, billions. And I was like, ah, like I want one of her on our staff anywhere I go. Like it just looks like it makes sense. Of course, I'm, I have a bachelor's in psychology. So I truly um, love thinking about human, you know, behavior and mindset perspectives. So I think that would be super cool, but I'm not sure. I think that will probably end up being more on the progressive end of things. I look at mindfulness. Um, there are companies out there that have chief mindfulness officers, um, Allstate, um, Google, like you have companies like that are really big that they've embraced that years before it became mainstream. And I think eventually this could be one of those comparisons. I think you bring up a good point though. And sometimes just need reminding of like, you have all of these amazing benefit providers that can give you access to free speakers um, and really high quality speakers. So I, I love that you brought up that point. I think it's so important for people to explore that um, because you don't have to pull it out of your budget, right? You already have access to it. You know, you had mentioned a little bit about freedom of work and you know, expertise, right? Adam Grant recently wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal called The Real Meaning of Freedom of Work. Um, and it really centers around this idea of like owning your job, owning your own experience. How should HR professionals be thinking about this from, you know, from the scale of knowledge workers to those that are, you know, hourly and on the manufacturing line? Because flexibility and freedom looks different for those groups. Yeah, I, it's such a good question because in talking with a bunch of HR people who, um, have manufacturing work environments or are hospitality or service oriented, I get the same question over and over. It's like, that's great, but like my employees can't work remotely. So I don't even know what to do. Like, how does that affect me? And I think the key is it's about wherever you can create the opportunity for choice, create it, find it, look for it. There are lots of opportunities where you can give people choice. I think about you know, on a, on a very personal kind of comparison, I think about my kids when it's time for dinner, it's like, I can give them like, they're going to have to eat a vegetable, but I can at least give them a choice. on like, do you want it to be carrots or broccoli? Um, and so at least they feel like they have choice in it, even if they don't like the choices, um, there's some involvement in what's going on. And by no means by comparing you know, employees to children, but it's just kind of giving that example of like, you can create choice. Um, so for, if you have employees who, you know, what you can do as an HR person, when you're looking at your environment saying, I can't offer what everybody else is offering, which is remote or hybrid work. Can I offer some choice on um, shift swapping? Can I make it easier for them to control when they, you know, are scheduling and when they're asking for time off with their colleagues? 
Um, can I give choice and even a little bit of flexibility during the workday? Um, I know I worked in a union manufacturing environment years ago and um, there was no choice. Employees had no choice. It was very much like, this is your lunch break. You are on, you know, shift B lunch break. You don't get shift C lunch break or shift D. So like, are there ways to create any sort of flexibility? And if you're not sure, I mean, one of the key things in, in providing choice and making sure people feel like they have some flexibility and autonomy is survey them. People have ideas. I'm sure your employees, like there's a book I read years ago called The Answers Are in the Room. Um, and it's like, if you just ask people, like they have the ideas, you're not going to implement half of them, but there's going to be something in there that will give you an idea of how you can provide flexibility and choice to a work environment where, you know, the flexibility and choice is not about working in office or, or not in office. You mentioned listening to employees, right? And we've been talking about this for a couple of years now, you know, yeah. really digging in, hearing what your employees have to say. I think about what we're seeing out there now in this creator marketplace. It's like the next evolution of, you know, the gig walk, the gig worker, the side hustle. How do you see that impacting HR and as we plan for the future of work in our organizations? Yeah, it's a, so during the pandemic, I, I, I had this thought hypothesis theory. I don't know what you want to call it, but um, this thought that the gig economy would be massively disrupted because when the pandemic hit and people were out of work and there were a lot of layoffs, the gig worker, there was not a lot of opportunity for the gig worker and there was no protection. The company there, you weren't going to get a severance package or you weren't going to get, you know, Cobra or whatever. And so I thought for sure that would kind of put a a little bit of a slowdown or a pause on what was happening with the gig economy. And I've been really intrigued by the fact that I think it actually amplified it massively because people started realizing that they could do other things and that they had to get creative with their skill set if they were trying to make some money for their family um, and they didn't have the stability of jobs. So I think it actually pushed more and more people into a gig environment. In fact, I had um, a mover come to the house and this mover was um, actually working for like one of the popular warehouses and had a very steady job with a solid paycheck and decided during the middle of the pandemic to quit it and start moving companies. He's like, why not? Why not? Like things are scary right now anyway. So why not try this on my own and be my own boss? So it's happening all over the place. So from a HR and the corporate environment, it's like we still need workers. So we still need people who want to work in offices and manufacturing environments and retail and hospitality. Um, and so one of the things that I think we can do is start reimagining our schedules. And so do you have to have a 40 hour a week schedule? Are you an organization that's requiring, nope, I've got to have everybody's full time. Um, I remember working in retail, we had the concept of a limited employee and then a part-time employee and a full-time and a limited employee was at that time it was retail. So we really needed seasonal people who would come back year after year after year, which is very common in retail. Um, and so having this idea of limited, like do you have employees who have very limited schedules and it will require you to have probably more strategic workforce planning capabilities. I mean, back in the old days, it was like job sharing and that was you know, seemingly for working moms, not for everybody. It's like, okay, there was ideas that worked a little bit that if we could pull those forward and say, how can I reimagine my schedule where I know people want to have side hustles? They probably want to have three of them and that's okay. I need at least people to work 
15 hours a week and I at least have a set schedule, reimagine that. Okay, so people wanna have um, potentially three different side hustles. And so how can you make sure that you're one of those hustles? <laughs> so you wanna, and so it may not be the 40 hour work week and that's okay. Maybe it's 15 hours and you know that you're able to staff up. It will require more strategic workforce planning because that's not easy. You need coverage, you need dependability. Um, but if you can create some of those opportunities for your work environment, I think you'll have a better opportunity to attract talent from all over. I think the second part to this is when you think about different work that needs to be done, do you have people within your organization who have skills and gifts that you don't know about? And so, for instance, you know, Sherry, you run a podcast. And so having that skill and being able to apply that for other parts of the company is huge. We have lots of um, video production that we do for client training where we produce videos and um, compliance training and, and all those different things. Well, we need voiceover artists. We need multimedia editors, content writers. And generally we have enough staff to do that, right? We're staffed to handle it. But at times we have peaks where we actually need more people to get the amount of work through. So rather than either outsourcing it to an agency or slowing down the workflow that you've got going on, it's actually tapping in and saying, who here has some digital capabilities? And shockingly, a lot of people do, especially in this creator economy. Like, you may have people who their side hustle is they are voiceover artists. So why not engage your employees? Um, we did this when we were running, um, creating our compliance training. So our non-harassment training, we did a casting call internally for our employees. And we said it was called PCTY Gots Talent. Um, we were looking for voiceover artists, actors, um, and people to be in our stuff rather than going externally. And it was so cool to see how many people in various jobs across the company, um, side hustles for them were voiceover and acting and, you know, or people who aspired to be actors. They're like, great, this is my chance. So I think the HR person has to figure out how do you tap into people um, and give them a chance to do something that's not in their normal day-to-day -day job. That might mean you have to pull them off of their day-to-day -day job for a couple hours a week so that they have time and capacity to do it but I will tell you that will make people feel more satisfied and connected with your company and know that they get to use their gifts um, at your company, even though it's not in their job description. So you mentioned about, you know, a couple topics around hiring and retaining employees. You know, we're in this term, right? The great resignation. And I think it all wraps into some of the things we've talked about, right? Mental health, freedom, having flexibility, um, transparency. So what are some of the things you're thinking about with the complexity of this great resignation um, and retaining and keeping talent um, to provide this flexibility that they want? Okay, so um, this is a really interesting one for me because I'm sure many of you are experiencing um, this yourselves, which is your inbox has no, no less than one email a day or three emails a week from a recruiter telling you about this great job opportunity they have they want to talk to you for. Um, this is what's happening for everybody. Everybody is getting phone calls. They're getting LinkedIn reach outs. They're getting emails. Like everybody is getting peppered and blasted with like shiny objects. Like that's kind of thing is like, hey, there's this great opportunity. And 
the volume of these opportunities is unbelievable, combined with the fact that many companies, because it's a hard recruiting environment, are offering bigger salaries and sign-on bonuses and all these bells and whistles to attract your talent. Um, it, it's going to make it harder to make sure you create an environment where you can keep the people that you're trying to keep. And I will say, you know, this, this age-old kind of statement in recruiting, which is, I just caught them on the right day, or the candidate would say, you just caught me on the right day. Like, I am happy, I'm engaged, I feel fine. And then I just had a bad meeting and your email came through and I took the call and hook, you know, I've been hooked in. So I think for organizations, you're going to have to put your arms around your people way more frequently, way more frequently. If you would have done it once a month, you need to do it once a week. If you do it once a week, it's every day. It truly is like regular check-ins with your people to know, to make sure they know that they're valued, they're appreciated acknowledge when work is hard. This doesn't mean like, don't make work hard. It's just like, actually notice it and say, I know that meeting was really tough. And I know this week is really tough, or I know this is really hard and I appreciate you and I value you. That can go so far. The second thing is reminding people about why it's great to work at your company. So I, take note, I'm not suggesting a bunch of raises here. <laughs> like, although there may be some market conditions where you probably need to look at it and make sure you're actually paying competitively. Like that is a Maslow hierarchy of needs, food, clothes, and shelter, make sure your market comps are competitive. But I'm not even suggesting to like keep throwing, you know, money at your employees if that's not what the issue is. It's just making sure people still feel loved, feel valued. Um, they believe in the future of the company. If you're not talking about why your company is a good place to be, people can forget that because guess what the recruiters are telling your employees? Why this company is so great come work at this company. They're not convincing you just on pay. They're not convincing you on who you're going to work for. It's this company is the right choice for you because how often are you re-recruiting your employees and reminding them how good your company is and why this is the place where you want to be and what's in it for you? You brought up such a good point about selling them on the opportunity. You know, my middle kid just picked up a coaching opportunity for wrestling um, back at his high school that he wrestled at. And we were having a conversation and he's like, mom, I didn't ask any questions about pay, when I'm getting paid, how I'm getting paid. <laughs> None of it. it wasn't a priority for me. Like it was such a cool opportunity and I was so excited to be a part of something. So you're absolutely right. We have to, um, you know, we almost have to like repitch our companies to our employees. We do. We absolutely do. Have I told you lately how important you are to me, Sherry. <laughs> I appreciate you, Cheryl. I appreciate that. Um, as we wrap up our discussion, you know, one one kind of last hurrah question is you think about those that are younger in their HR career listening to this amount of information and they might be feeling overwhelmed. How do they stay on top of all of these trends and influence their leadership to understand the importance and impact to the business? Yeah, I, so there's several parts to this. One is making sure that you're actually taking time to read articles, um, listen to podcasts like this one. Um, I listen to lots of podcasts, obviously, including this one. So listening to podcasts, reading articles. I think what's really important is to make sure that the source is credible. I tell this to my son all the time when he tells me how he's getting his information. It's on TikTok. I'm like, how about you start with like maybe go to 
MSNBC, CNN, you know, Fox, like something that's like at least slightly, you know, validated more than TikTok, who knows? So for an HR professional, make sure that where the source of where you're getting your information seems somewhat credible. It's not just a random source. I always, whenever I see an article and the headline will draw me in like, oh, this is interesting. The first thing I do is I look at the source and the author to see if they're someone who's credible. Like, is this someone who I should listen to what they're saying? Or many times it's someone who's paid for a placement. And so they're not necessarily credible. They just paid to get in front of you. So paying attention to that. And then I think the other thing is build your network, talk to other HR people. So if you're not connecting with people who do what you do, you're missing out. Um, a big source of my um, collaboration comes from other CHROs where I can tap in and find out what they're doing, not just what's read in an article. Um, and then I think the last part to this is if you're trying to convince your organization that they need to be doing certain things, find out the companies that your leaders um, aspire to be like or admire. And it may not be the obvious, it may not be your competitors. It may not be anybody in your space or your industry. It may be, you know, you're in manufacturing and your, your leaders um, admire Netflix and their culture. So compare like what practices you want to put in place in your organization to these companies that your leaders admire. And if you don't know who they admire, ask them. Like, who do you admire and why? Some leaders have no idea. They're like, I don't know. I don't know who's doing it right. So then your best bet is actually Fortune 100 list, great place to work list. Like those are organizations who have generally some practices that are more on the progressive side and you can research those um, and kind of let them know who they should admire. Cheryl, thank you so much for your insight and for jumping on the podcast with me today. As always, it's welcome to have you in the studio. Awesome. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Paylocity, a leading HCM provider that frees you from the tasks of today so you can focus more on the promise of tomorrow. If you'd like to submit a topic or appear as a guest on a future episode, email us at pctytalks at paylocity.com.